Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. And today we are going to be talking about procrastination. Now, I'm going to say right up front, I am a recovering procrastinator. (laughs) If I let myself, I will procrastinate in all kinds of things until I get myself into trouble. (laughs) And this is a topic that I find coming up a lot in the conversation about reinvention and having a desire for our lives, but never actually getting around to it because we're all incredibly busy people with busy, busy lives. And sometimes we just keep pushing these things that we want down the road. Like we are, you know, finding something else to do in the meantime, like there's always something to do on our to-do lists, right? And so I thought this would be a really interesting topic to unpack. I have found it interesting as I dive into it myself. <laughs> and so my guest today is Ann Bartolucci, who is a licensed psychologist. She is a sleep medicine um, expert, also the author of several nonfiction books. I think one of them is about sleep and also a pile of fiction books as well, too. So she is a psychologist slash creative <laughs> and she has studied procrastination and actually has created a course for procrastinators. So um, let's dive into this topic. Welcome on. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm super excited to be here. So tell us then, as a psychologist and a sleep medicine specialist, how did you come to start studying procrastination? It was sort of a winding road to it, honestly, and it came out of the author space first. So initially, I was doing a procrastination course called Creative Strategies for Creative Avoiders for my fellow fiction authors. And I did it as part of a couple of workshops a couple of Georgia romance writers, conferences, and I got such good feedback that when it came time for me to write Better Sleep for the Overachiever, I was like, okay, well, I need to have a procrastination section because, you know, of course, our negative thoughts and feelings about procrastinating can then feed into the anxiety we feel at night, like you said, not getting the things done that we want to get done. And so that was the next step was turning it into the chapter. And in the book, it's called Procrastination is the Last Chapter for a Reason, which gave me the opportunity (laughs) to flesh it out. Yes. Yeah. As my office manager said, as I was walking back and forth to the printer fetching articles, she said, well, you know, write what you know. I'm like, yeah, unfortunately. Then I hit a period of, you know, like you talk about here, reinvention. So I actually had a hysterectomy in 2018. I don't have any kids. And so I started thinking about, okay, what do I want the rest of my life to Mm. look like? And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is helping other creatives to get out of their own way and achieve their creative goals. And yes, it definitely took me a few years of pretty much experiencing everything in the course for me to put it together. And I was also diagnosed with ADHD in early Mm. 2022, 
which gave me the actually reasoning and also push I needed. And yes, having that treated has been super helpful. Right. And so it seemed that things just kind of fell into place after that. I was part of an online community of course creators. I still have some great productivity and accountability partners out of that. And yeah, as I started developing the course, it just seems to flow naturally. And I was like, yeah, this is very authentic to both the work that I've done as a sleep psychologist, but then also as a coach helping other writers mostly. Mm. So what exactly is procrastination? Like, I mean, I think we all, we all know what it is, (laughs) I mean, and the results of it, but like, what exactly is it? Like, it is, you know, what's underlying it, I guess. Is it a fear? Is it like, what is procrastination? Oh, yeah. So that's a good two-level question. So the definition of procrastination, it has a few parts. You're putting something off intentionally. It's something that you need to do. And it's also something that you have negative consequences for not doing. Mm. So for it to truly qualify as procrastination, it does have to have all of those three parts. And so I had one patient who told me, he said, well, you know, if I don't do this thing, then my, my wife's eventually going to pick it up and do it for me. And I said, well, that's not really procrastination then because you know it's going to get done by somebody. So the negative consequences are not necessarily, well, I guess it depends on how annoyed his wife gets with them, but you know, negative consequences aren't necessarily as bad. And as for where it comes from, it all comes from avoidance. And so that's one level. And then what are we avoiding? We are avoiding basically potential consequences that the brain thinks are going to be absolutely terrible. Mm. Okay. So let me just unpack something that you just said. Let's go up to the top level for a second. So the idea that there has to be a negative consequence associated with not doing this thing. So for Mm -hmm. example, if I have a goal or a desire for my life and I know the action that I should take to to get there, but I don't, like there's no... Mm immediate negative <laughs> consequence, mm-hmm. but then I just don't realize that desire. Does that still count as procrastination? Definitely, because you don't, even though you don't know what the consequences for not realizing that desire are, if it is a desire, it is obviously something that is important to you on some level. Mm. And so therefore, if you don't do it, then you might end up eventually being disappointed in yourself or you know, for example, if it's starting a new business, you might not realize your dreams of freedom and flexibility that come along with that. Or, you know, if you're not doing a creative project, you don't get the joy of completing it. And, you know, if you want to putting it out in the world. Yeah. And I think it's so easy, I guess, you know, when something has a consequence that's far, like it's not an immediate consequence as in, you know, I have to have it done by the end of this week, or I'm going to have to pay a penalty on my taxes, right? Like there's that one, right? Exactly. But then there's these, you know, these longer out longer term negative consequences, which are so much easier to put off. Like it's just because like, mm-hmm. the consequence of me not taking this action today, I might not realize it for 10 years and then have a feeling of regret, I should have started that then. Right. So like, is there a difference between the types of procrastination for near term immediate things versus kind of those farther out consequences? The categorization that's in the research that fits that best is the external negative consequences versus the internal negative consequences. Ah. So external negative consequences, like you said, if you don't get your taxes in, 
you have somebody, you know, probably the government, although who knows, it might happen in five years because they're so far behind right now. <laughs> right. But, you know, eventually somebody's going to come after you for the money. You know, if you are doing a group project and you don't do your part, your fellow group members are going to be disappointed in you. So that's mm-hmm. the external negative consequences that happen more immediately. Whereas, yes, the internal negative consequences, which are that the disappointment, the what if, the regret, yeah, those tend to be more long-term and more amorphous. Mm. So is there like, is it different types of procrastination for those internal versus external? Because one to me feels like the external pressure like you don't get to procrastinate as long because the internal pressure is, I mean, so the external pressure is going to get you, mm-hmm. right? Like somebody's going to be disappointed. The government's going to come after you. So there's something outside of yourself where I feel like it's easier to avoid those internal feelings, right? Like I'm going to be mm-hmm. disappointed or have regret. Like does procrastination look different in either of those two situations? Perhaps in terms of how clear the thing is that you are procrastinating. Mm. Because yes, a lot of times the external procrastination consequences are for something that is very time limited and specific. Right. And so perhaps there's more of an intentional decision, Hmm. which then brings us to things like, you know, overwhelm. Oh my gosh, I can't handle this right Right. now. Or actually perfectionism and imposter syndrome could go either way. Right. Right. Yeah. And I want to dig into each of those two things because like overwhelm and imposter syndrome procrastination, like, Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about the relationship between those things and procrastination? (laughs) Yes. So when it comes to overwhelm, what happens is that we're faced with something that feels bigger than what we can handle or what we have handled before. So a lot of times with overwhelm procrastination, it requires us to do more things or maybe to learn something new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we end up just, okay, how am I going to fit this in? And if I commit to doing this, that means I'm saying no to all of the other things I could have been doing. Mm -hmm. And so also what happens with overwhelm procrastination is like, okay, so the task pile is getting bigger because you're putting stuff off, which means the anxiety is getting higher, which means that you're going to end up procrastinating more because procrastination is rooted in anxiety and avoidance, but then the task pile gets bigger. So you're already in that loop. And then we have these negative messages that we give to ourselves, which are things like, I can't handle this. I've never done anything like this before. I can't see my way through this, which then increases the anxiety. And so then you're not only in a loop, you're in a spiral. Right. And the higher you go, the more paralyzed you get. Right. And then if you have tendencies toward perfectionism, I could see how that would even then further accelerate the spiral because now you're like beating yourself up for not doing the things Mm -hmm. or I don't know how to do this and I'm not going to do it right. Therefore, I'm not even going to (laughs) try. Exactly. Or as somebody said to me today, which was an aha moment for them, oh, I don't want to do the things that I'm scared of not doing perfectly. Hmm. Interesting. Because with, yes, because when it comes to perfectionism and perfectionism and imposter syndrome are very related because imposter syndrome is, okay, I am doing this thing and I'm not confident in doing this thing. And eventually somebody is going to catch me that I am not as competent as I think I am. And of course, we're more likely to have those thoughts if we are perfectionists because 
perfect is impossible. Yeah. And so, you know, like relating this to to my own and so for the people listening who have heard kind of my reinvention story of finding myself at the age of 50, divorced, unemployed, an empty nester, bedridden with a stress-related illness and having to like reinvent my life, like reinvent my person, (laughs) but also reinvent Mm -hmm. my life. And so much of what I was doing was brand new to me. Like I had had a 30 year career in the corporate world. And now I'm like, okay, this is no longer fitting me, (laughs) right? I have to go forward. And what is it that I want to create? And I found myself and still find myself in this place where I'm charting the course myself. Like there is no road ahead of me. I'm kind of like in there with my machete (laughs) carving out a road. Mm -hmm. And I will hit these like roadblocks where it's like, I can't see the next step. I can't. So I'm just going to stop. (laughs) Right. And then Mm -hmm. I spin in this little place going, okay, you should, you should, you should, you should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. You know, and then I started finding myself spiraling downwards. Now I've gotten better at recognizing fear and how it stops me. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so I can jump over that. But I think so many of us kind of get caught in that, you know, in that place where, you know, we feel the fear and anxiety. We, you know, don't know what to do about it, then we beat ourselves up. And then we just keep, you know, digging ourselves deeper and deeper into the hole, right? Exactly. And if you think about it, the fear and anxiety, what were they originally for? They were originally to keep us out of danger. So if there is a rustling in the bushes, for example, it might be something you want to eat, or it might be something that wants to eat you. Right. And, you know, some people will you know, go for one over the other. And by the way, that is why our all of our phone alerts are so addictive is because it gets to that little part of the brain. Right. But what happens then is the brain is conflating the what if I fail or, you know, what if I succeed and then can't replicate, which is essentially what fear of success is. And then people will see me and this rejection by the community is a survival issue. And so that's why we get stuck. Right. So if somebody listening to this right now is in that place where they're in that spiral, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. procrastinating, they're beating themselves up for it, and they're kind of stuck in there. How do you help people? Like, what is the first step that you tell to help your clients to move out of that procrastination spiral and at least start taking a step forward or at least to not go any further down (laughs) the spiral? Right. So first we identify, okay, what exactly are they doing? Is it, are they caught in a perfectionism spiral, which is, okay, what is the bargain that you're trying to make with yourself? Because perfectionism, what I have found is essentially us making impossible bargains that if only I can do this impossible thing, then I will be happy. And of course, this has all sorts of different degrees. So, okay, what is the impossible bargain that you're making and how realistic is that? And so we look at all of the thoughts and the feelings that go around that and see, okay, what is one way you can challenge this bargain? And it's different for different people. So what's a definition of an impossible bargain? Like what's an example of something like that? Uh, So for very high achieving people, one of the impossible bargains is, okay, if I am good at something the very first time I try to do it, then I am a competent person and I have the skill. Mm, yeah. Do you sound familiar? I think I've been there. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right. And so in practical terms, that would look like, like, so how would you help me through that? Like, it's like, okay, I need to be good at this or I'm not even going to try. And so it'd be, okay, what would be the minimal acceptable good 
that you could be at it. Like, so for example, if you're trying to learn a new computer program, okay, would minimal acceptable good be you can get in and set up your account? And, or would it be, okay, let's at least access the help files and the training? Right, right. So how the person is stuck in the spiral and you're like, okay, now like let's, I've made this impossible bargain with myself that I must do this 110% or it's not even Mm -hmm. worth trying. Right. And so how do you get somebody though, to go from that? I must do it from 110% that I'm willing to accept 80 or I'm willing to accept 70 or I'm willing to be like a learner and make mistakes. Like how, how do you create that? I guess that mental journey to get them down from that 100% place or 110% place. There is language from the mindfulness world that is super helpful with this, which is, okay, what is useful? We're going to get out of the judgment place of good versus bad, because that's often where people end up is that, okay, this will be bad. And it's, okay, let's get out of that good versus bad and say, okay, what would be most useful? And are these expectations that you would have of someone else. Like if you were Mm. training your kid to do something, would you expect them to be perfect at it the very first time? No. Right. And so it's activating that compassion that we find so much easier to activate for other people and activating it for ourselves. And that is one of the big things that I tried to do. And I think I did successfully in the course, which is to come at this from a place of self-compassion. Because what tends to happen when we procrastinate is We try to motivate ourselves by beating ourselves up. Like we have this silly idea that we need to have a drill sergeant to get us to do things. Right. Whereas like, no, that just makes us more stuck. Yeah. And I think that's so true and so relevant for, you know, for myself and for the listeners of, you know, this podcast, because when we get into our like 40s and 50s and 60s, right, chances are, you know, we've had a long career or we've become pretty expert at some facet of our lives. Right. And so we're not used to Mm -hmm. being a learner or we're not used to not knowing. Like I remember coming out of my corporate career and like, you know, from being on top of it to feeling like I was at the bottom, like, okay, I'm starting this podcast. I'm like, I know nothing about podcasts. Right. And I'm starting it from scratch. Right. And I hated being in that position. Right. Like there's that Mm -hmm. um, I'm going from being an expert to being a noob. And it's a really hard adjustment. Okay. And so what did you hate about being a noob? It was, the, I think that like not knowing, not being, well, let's come back to perfectionist, right? Like I'm going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and then people are going to judge my mistakes, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I'm putting out a podcast into the world. I have no idea, but I really want to do this. So I'm going to try and figure out how to do it, but I am going to make mistakes. And where I had to get to was giving myself permission <laughs> to mm-hmm. make mistakes because I was used to like being on the top of my game, mm-hmm. right? Where Yeah, and you were probably very... <laughs> Yes. And you are probably highly reinforced for not making mistakes. Exactly. And when you, as you were climbing the corporate ladder, that was what you were taught is like, okay, if you do things really well, then you get to advance. But learning stages, we get that point of learning equals stuff. And it's almost like a punishment. Whereas that's not how life works. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because I think, too, there's and this is really what it comes down to is in the process of learning, there is discomfort, 
<laughs> right? Like of not oh, yeah. knowing and being able to sit in that discomfort. And that was the thing for me, right? Was being able to sit in that discomfort of not knowing, like the uncertainty, I guess, which the human brain hates uncertainty. Oh, yeah. Um, sitting in that place of uncertainty and like, can I learn this? Will I learn this? And the discomfort was really, I think that's the hard part for us. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. And so part of coming out of procrastination in that place of paralyzation is to see, because paralyzation is totally a word. Um, Sounded right to me. Is, <laughs> yes, paralysis, coming out of that paralysis <laughs> is to see learning as an opportunity. Mm, exactly. And not a punishment. Yeah. You know, I've interviewed a few women on this show who are in their 70s and 80s who are still, you know, reinventing themselves, trying new things. And the common thread to through every conversation that I've had with these women is I will be a lifelong learner. I show up every day and say, what can I learn? Which I mean, I found like it's definitely impacted me because I've gone from that place of like, oh my God, I'm feeling so uncomfortable to, like you said, seeing it as an opportunity for learning and growth and giving myself permission to not like to, giving myself permission to suck at it, basically. <laughs> so let's talk about procrastination related to fear. Um, and I think this has to do with this kind of certainty as well, too, right? Like, you know, we back away from things that we've never done before or situations that we, you know, that are new to us because there's the uncertainty of not knowing. Like we as humans, we'd rather stay stuck in certainty, even if we don't like it, than to be uncertain with the hope of possibility. How do you help people navigate through the procrastination related to fear? Since, you know, since pretty much all procrastination comes out of fear, because with procrastination, you're avoiding something. So, okay, okay, what are you avoiding? And is this avoidance, is this as bad as your brain is telling you it's going to be? Mm. So thinking about the different types of procrastination when it comes to overwhelm, yes, it's avoiding that uncertainty of having to learn. It's also avoiding the giving up the energy that you would be putting to other things that you might want to do. Then with perfectionism, it's yeah avoidance of what other people are thinking or what they might think, which, you know, spoiler alert, most people aren't even thinking that much about right. you, so they're not even going to notice. Uh, with imposter syndrome, yeah, it's avoidance of, again, what people are thinking about you being caught out. With boredom procrastination, it's avoidance of you know, the discomfort of doing something that you don't find super engaging. And so, yeah, each type of procrastination has its own avoidance. And then it's looking at, okay, what are the thoughts that are feeding into that avoidance? So we've already talked about some of them, mm -hmm. which are the perfectionistic bargains, the things that we tell ourselves in overwhelm. With boredom, it's basically, yeah, I don't want to do this. This sucks. Why do I have to do this? I shouldn't have to do this. Should statements, as you alluded right. to earlier, are right. big things that keep us stuck. And so we tend to then get in our heads about it and have those perpetual arguments basically with that imaginary self or those imaginary people who are, who are looking at us and basically giving us a negative play by play of our entire lives. Right. Right. Because I think so often, you know, we catastrophize, right? Like the, mm -hmm. you know, the uncertainty is always going to be worse than where I am today. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Right. Like I catch myself in it all the time. Right. Where I'm like, oh, I just assumed I 100 percent assume that that thing is going to be worse than where I am right now. When the reality is it could be wildly better. 
right? There's like a 50, yeah. 50 shot where it could be like a hundred times better. And I have to, I have to tell myself that a lot to kind of keep going forward. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay. You just focused on one side. There's a whole other side that you haven't explored. Like what if it's, and I do this, like the what if statement, right? Like what if it's everything you wanted and, you know, and more. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I love that you're, you're giving yourself a 50, 50 chance because that makes sense to our brains. Mm-hmm. Because we know that a 50% chance is chance. And so, okay, you're letting go of some of that control. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And like the, you know, I try to lean into possibility. And I talk about possibility a lot because that like, what if this is exactly what I wanted, right? Like just opens the door. Mm -hmm. Like even if you have fears and doubts, like if you say what if, right, you just like cracked the door a tiny little bit. Right. And I find that that really helps me with when I'm stalling because I'm feeling mm-hmm. uncertain or I'm feeling afraid. Right. Like just telling myself, like, what if? And then it's like, oh, OK, I can see the light. There's like a little crack right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, starting the podcast, what if could have been what if people love it? What if it helps a lot of people? And that second one is connecting to your values. And often if we are connected to our values, which I know you talk a lot about on this podcast, that can help to motivate us out of being stuck. Mm. So what's an example of that? Like being connected, like, so like one of my values is, you know, community or collaboration, like that type of thing. So like attaching, so help me out with that one a little bit, the connection there. So when it comes to, well, you know, what was something that you were avoiding? that that value could be tied to. Okay, there is a new project. Well, actually, I can't, can't see what it is yet, but there is a new project where it's very much being driven by that value for me of community mm-hmm. and collaboration. Right. So when you come to a step point with that project as, you know, is inevitably, go- inevitably going to happen because that's what yep. does happen is that you can say, okay, I am feeling stuck. I am very much in uncertainty. But this project has the opportunity and the chance of really building out a community that could be beneficial for so many people. Mm. Because that's really the underpinning uh, thing with community, right? It's that it helps people to connect. It helps them to help each other. And so, you know, going back to your what ifs, it's like, okay, what if right. this okay, is gotcha. huge for a community? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. So, I mean, procrastination is like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, like procrastination, like healing procrastination is not a one and done thing, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) I got through it in this particular instance, but now I'm up against the next thing and who are here? I am back in the procrastination pit again. (laughs) Yes. Right. So how do you build the muscle or do you build the muscle of overcoming procrastination so that you just get stuck less times or not as long as you used to? Is that kind of what it looks like? Yes. And it also helps you to organize what you're doing sooner. Mm. So I like to use the metaphor of building a muscle because it's not just building muscle. It's also flexibility. Mm. And so this is building a muscle of the confidence. Okay. I know that I can figure my way out of this. So, you know, we're we're turning around that message of, I can't handle this. Like, no, I know I can figure my way out of this. But the flexibility comes in, in that 
okay, well, perhaps the strategies I used previously aren't going to work as well this time, so I need to come up with different ones. And that's one of the things that I do try to get my clients and my students to realize is that there is no one system that's going to work 100% of the time for everybody. Mm. And so it's having different tools that you can draw from. So for example, I am currently revising the second book for a book contract with a small publisher. And it was really hard for me to get back into writing this book because I had written about 47,000 words last year. I wanted, I had a certain timeline for my last two Fay Files books as Cecilia Dominic. And so I put it aside. And then when I got back to it, my ADHD brain was like, no, we've already done this. We don't need to do this again. We're done with it. I'm like, no brain, we're not done with it. We're only about halfway through. And so it was, okay, I can't necessarily use the strategies that I was using previously, like sprinting or eating the frog. It was, okay, let me do the easier things first to warm myself up to getting back into the project. Whereas with other projects, sometimes it's like, okay, let me go ahead and do the hard thing first, do the writing first, do the revisions first, and then I can go on to other things. Because I found myself stuck that, okay, I can't do anything until I work on this project, but then I wasn't doing anything. And I got so far behind on certain author marketing tasks because I was trying to eat the frog and that was just not the strategy that I needed to use at that time. So how do you know what tactic to use when? Or is it a process of trial and error as in you tried that, okay, this isn't working, and then giving yourself permission to say, okay, that didn't work for me, let me try a different one, as opposed to just throwing the towel in and being like, okay, I just can't do this, which is kind of what I think we all do, right? We try one thing and then it doesn't work and we're like, I just can't, there's something wrong with me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If I don't do this right exactly the first time, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's... Definitely the trial and error and also noticing, okay, this tactic isn't working. Is this getting done when I need to get done? No. Is it interfering with the rest of my life? Yes. So it's time Mm -hmm. to do something different, even if it's counter to everything that you have done before or have heard before. So do you recommend that people kind of have a go-to list of strategies like kind of going into it or like, how do you, okay, so this one tactic didn't work for me. How do I know Mm -hmm. where to go next? So it's perhaps looking at the consequences and saying, okay, what is the tactic that is going to help me to mitigate those negative consequences? Mm. So perhaps it's okay. So rather than jumping right into the deep end, we need to warm up a little bit. So let's try that. Okay. I was actually able to get things done. I feel better about myself. Then I can go on and do the hard thing. Or, you know, if it's, I'm warming up too much and I'm never actually getting to the thing. So that's the the clearing the deck error or saying, okay, I have to clear the deck of all of the other things before I do the important thing. Well, you know, often that means that the important thing isn't going to get done. So, okay, then we need to turn around and do the other thing first. Okay. Am I spending too much time on this? Do I need to put a time limit on myself? Do I need to get some external accountability so that people are counting on me to because we are definitely motivated by those external consequences as we were talking about previously. So yeah, there are definitely different tactics that can be helpful and it does help to have a full to- toolbox. Yeah. So, you know, as you're talking, the thing that's going through my mind is, I guess resilience is the word because it's like, I, 
rather than saying I can't do this thing, like, okay, so let's say you're writing a book, right? And you're trying all these different tactics and and it's not working. Rather than stopping and saying, okay, I guess I just can't write a book. I'm just not capable of it, right? Is being able to say, I know I'm capable of it. I just haven't found the right strategy yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't found the right path for me. Right. And so sometimes people feel like they have to have everything laid out perfectly or at least some idea of where they're going. But then that paralyzes them. Sometimes people uh, just start going and then they get lost and that paralyzes them. And so perhaps it's finding something in the middle of, okay, I'm going to outline the next couple of chapters. And that gives me an idea of where I'm going, but it doesn't overwhelm me. Right. And so this is where we have, we come up with a lot of the myths that creatives hear that don't serve them. So for example, what is consistency? We talk about this a lot in my consultation groups that people have heard you have to write every single day, or you have to paint, or you have to draw, or you have to play the piano every single day. And then people are like, well, if I miss a day, well, that means I'm a failure. I can't do it. So what does consistency mean for you? What is the minimum that you can be consistent with? And so for some people it's, okay, I can sit down and work on this project a half hour a week. And that's where we're going to start. And it's going to be okay. Yeah. One of the big things that shifted for me with that word consistency was commitment over consistency. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes like, and I used to do this a lot. It's like, okay, if I don't consistently show up, then I failed. Right. When I reverted back to the word commitment, it was like, oh, I'm still, I'm very committed and there's going to be bumps in the road, but like, it's like, I can just like, if I hit a bump in the road, I can just start again because I'm committed because consistency for Mm -hmm. me was like, you know, okay, I've just missed two or three days in a row. Like, okay, that's it. I'm not doing it. (laughs) Right. And the analogy I heard for this was like, you're driving down the road, you get a flat tire. So you get out of your car and you puncture all the the remaining tires. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see exactly what you're saying. Right. But so that led me to being like, okay, I'm committed to this thing. I know I'm going to do this thing. Right. And that I might not always be a hundred percent consistent, but over time I will be consistent. (laughs) Oh yes. I definitely like that because yeah, it's, it was really something that was very hard for me before I was diagnosed with ADHD, because of course that's one of the big issues with having a deficit in executive dysfunction or executive function is that, yeah, it's really hard to be consistent. And so I was beating myself up over that because of course, you know, we hear in the, in the business world and everything is like, Oh no, you have to show up. You have to be consistent. You have to do this. You have to do that regularly. And I'm like, okay, my systems are only getting me so far. And so yeah, knowing what was going on with my brain helped me to have the compassion be like, okay, yeah, even if I don't show up every single day or even every single week, as long as I'm making overall progress, it's Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And I think sometimes we just need to like zoom out and look at the big picture of things, right? And to- Yes. And to celebrate ourselves for how far we've come versus what we still have left to do, which was another Mm -hmm. big switch for me because I tend to be looking at the, oh my goodness, look at the road in front of me. It's so long. Meanwhile, when you look back, you're like, holy cow, look where I started. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And that for me, that's a commitment a lot. Oh yeah. That's a great point. And that's something that interestingly, I learned from my head injury patients Mm. because they would beat themselves up for, okay, look how much fart 
how far I've got to go before I can get back to what I consider to be normal. And it's like, no, look back and see where you started and how far you've come. And yeah, that definitely did help to give them perspective. And yeah, so I've tried to remember that in my life as well. Although I will admit I am a type A Italian, somewhat impatient person. So it's one of those lessons I have to keep learning. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I wanted to talk a little bit about the label of procrastinator because it's interesting. Like I have found myself labeling myself as a procrastinator. Well, I'm a procrastinator, so I better, right? Do you not think that everyone to some degree is a procrastinator? And then when we attach that like label to ourselves, it's almost like, well, there's something wrong with me. Like there's a defect. Mm -hmm. But do you think everybody is a procrastinator to some degree and level? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, we're all procrastinators because we all have brains and we all have this wiring that is, okay, we have to stay safe. And you think about it, modern society is like 100, maybe 150, 200 years old, whereas our physiology and nervous systems are like 100,000 plus years old. Right. So our brains have not had the chance to catch up. And, you know, 200 years ago, other than the, okay, I have to think about how much seed I have to save for the next season, you know, people might have been thinking a year out, but a lot of times they weren't thinking, you know, the you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Well, hopefully I'm not starving and I'm still growing food. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't having that conversation with other people or themselves, but we're taught that we have to think way far ahead. And we also have these things in our day-to-day or week-to-week that interfere with our regular physiology, like, you know, sleeping in later on weekends. You know, I have to stick that in there since I'm a sleep psychologist. And so for people who have trouble sleeping, they... We'll try to make up on weekends, which then makes the issue worse during the week. So can some people sleep in on weekends? Definitely. But, you know, that's one of the first things we tell people is to go ahead and anchor your wake up time so you can anchor your circadian rhythm because we didn't have weekends till about a hundred years ago. So I kind of got off topic there, but yes, we are all procrastinators in some sense because, yeah, we have things that our brains are telling us that we want to avoid. And like you said, we don't like uncertainty. Yeah, because I think as I'm hearing you talking, I'm like, procrastination itself is not like a brain dysfunction. It's not, it doesn't mean you're broken. It means you have a brain that's operating exactly as it should to keep you safe, right? And it will throw up fear and anxiety and all these things to keep you kind of in that place because it's like really the reptilian part of our brain. And I think, and correct me again if I'm wrong, you know, like, it's literally managing the function of your brain to get to where you want to be, right? As opposed to labeling yourself a procrastinator or, you know, he's a procrastinator, you know what I mean? And making it like a dysfunction, like a a human failing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because labels are very powerful. Yes. And we definitely believe what we label ourselves to be. And so, yeah, if you're labeling yourself as a procrastinator, then you are setting yourself up to procrastinate. And I think it's funny that you called yourself a recovered procrastinator because that's also not necessarily a thing because <laughs> you still have a brain. <laughs> exactly. In fact, you've kind of like you've clarified that for me because I did have a bit of an identity of, of oh, like I know I'm a procrastinator. Therefore, I should put all of these systems and things in place. So I've already like I've labeled myself at the beginning of whatever this task is. Right. As opposed to I'm a human being with a human brain that is set up in a certain way, but there are things that I can do to help manage the process to get to my goal. Exactly. And when that little part of the brain starts speaking of saying, no, no, this is dangerous. That's a lion hiding in the bushes. 
You say, okay, thank you, brain, for trying to protect me. So again, that self-compassion, yeah. that self-gratitude, thank you so much for trying to protect me. Yeah. It's like, I am going to put you aside until I'm about to cross the street, in which case I really do need to you know, see whether I need to hesitate. But otherwise, let's just keep going and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, this is so interesting. Like, so if anybody listening to this is like, oh, I'm in a place right now where I'm feeling stuck on something and they want to be able to like access more of you or your course, where can they go to find that? Because I feel like this is just going to resonate with a lot of people because I think we all feel stuck at some point. Right. And excellent. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's not excellent that people feel stuck, but I'm hoping that this will help a lot of people because as you probably figured out, yes, compassion is one of my big values. Mm. So if you are curious to learn what kind of procrastinator you are, and to start seeing some of those things that your brain tells you. You can take the what kind of procrastinator are you quiz, which will put you on my email list because you don't only get the quiz, but you also get the explanations. Right. So you can get that at bit.ly, so bit.ly forward slash podcast hyphen procrastinator. Oops. Sorry, my... Uh, that's okay. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Procrastinator. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure that that gets in the show notes so people can link to it. But here's my question about that. Why does it help you to understand what kind of procrastinator you are? Like, how does that help you? Great question, because then you can start digging into, okay, what are the messages that my mind is giving me? And what are those particular flavors? And it gives you guidance on, okay, what are the things that you need to start challenging? Mm. And so... That in of itself in the email sequence will be super helpful. So yes, bit.ly podcast hyphen procrastinator. And then if you want to take the full course, it is uh, psychupacademy.com. So P-S-Y-C-H-U-P-A-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com. And that will take you to my website when it gets built out, or at this point, it goes straight to the course. And the lessons are designed with procrastinators in mind. Surprise, surprise. So they are all short. Yeah. There are written, there's a written part. There's a workbook to help you really connect the course material to your own situation. And it talks about not only what kind of procrastinator you are, what you can do for those specific types of procrastination, but also then future procrastination prevention so that you can start putting things in place to develop those muscles and have that flexibility. Yeah, I loved your course because, and I love the fact that you, A, that they were short, because I love little short things, <laughs> short learning things. <laughs> Yay. I loved that there was an audio and also a written part because I listened to it while I was walking, because for me, that's how I absorb information while moving. But then I came back to a couple of things where I was like, oh, what was that? And then I went to the written version, right? And then I was able to like to pick it up that way. So it was almost like, well, you probably designed it this way, but it was like, it was kind of hitting me from all of the the places, right? So like auditory, visual, like I was kind of taking it all in and it's super interesting. And, you know, I haven't finished it all yet, but I definitely am going to go back and finish it all, finish the rest of it because I'm super interested in the, the part that you mentioned about procrastination prevention, which is the part I haven't got to yet, because I know there's procrastination mm -hmm. in my future. It was in my past and it will, <laughs> it will come back because I'm hashtag human. Yep. But, oh, well, thank you for that feedback. I'm, I'm very happy that you found it helpful to have all the different modalities and yet I was trying to make it as accessible as possible. Yeah. 
Well, that's one of the things I've discovered about myself much later in life is that I get totally different things from listening versus reading. Mm -hmm. Right. And so being able to tackle it from both is just like, oh, now it's all it just clicks together. It's like a little puzzle. Right. So that was super helpful. Thank you for this conversation on procrastination, because you opened my eyes to the the fact because, again, I was labeling myself like it's a deficiency that I need to manage as opposed to this is just my human brain doing exactly what it's designed to do. And so putting those pieces together for me was super helpful. I hope for those of you listening, maybe you got the same realization out of this conversation, but I encourage you all to go, you know, check out, well, A, do the quiz and B, then go check out the course because it's super valuable information that's really easy to digest. And I think will just help us all function better. And, you know, my goal is to help you reach your goal. (laughs) So if this conversation helps you, then um, our work here is done. (laughs) Excellent. Yes. Thank you again so much for having me on your podcast. I have, like I said, I really enjoyed listening to previous episodes and will definitely continue. Thank you. I'm so happy that you're a listener. And, you know, thank you for this conversation and for the work that you do in the world that it's, um, like I said, it was eye opening for me today. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. So to those of you listening, if you like what you heard today, you could pass this on to a friend, a relative, a peer. It would be a tremendous honor. This is a labor of love for us and passing it on to somebody and recommending it, you know, with your recommendation is like the perfect thing. So, or give us a rating or review until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.